Motherhood, there's a lot that is, is involved in motherhood, and we want to take time from, to hear from and, bring, and from, hear from some women that we've asked to bring a word uh, of encouragement to those who resonate with their stories, um, maybe have similar stories or similar life phases, and so I'm very eager to hear from them. One of my, thank you, <laughs> one of my favorite quotes from Mother Teresa, who faithfully loved and served many, many children, though not physically birthed from her, and yet you would say, when you think of Mother Teresa, you think of her impact and the compassion that she had on the world, really. And yet one, one thing that she said was, um, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. You want to change the world, go home and love your family. And we have the great task of changing the world by the impact we have on those closest to us. This is the most noble, most difficult, and often unseen job that we have. And we have asked these moms of different, sto- different stages, different stories to bring a word of encouragement to us. And I'm going to start here with Rachel. Um, yes, you can give her Rachel. Um, Rachel, you and David have been at the Brook since the beginning, right? Since the very beginning. Um, we have seen you, if it's red, it's good. Right? Yes, you're good. Oh, we have okay. seen you guys um, get married. We have seen you merge your families, both with um, both parents already. And then we've seen you guys grow as yes. a family. It's been really neat to see that. Um, and you understand the complexities that come with a blended family and a blended home. Uh, as many here in our Brooke family can resonate. Um, Rachel, what is one thing you would say to encourage another mom in your shoes? Um, that what, What's a word that you would enc- bring, a word of encouragement that you would encourage her spiritually and also a word of like practical encouragement for uh, a mom just like yourself? Okay, so... Um, one thing I'd like to share for those moms in my shoes where uh, we're blended um, would be to seek God continually and to keep pushing forward. Um, we need to seek grace abundantly for our kids, for our husbands, and especially for ourselves. Um, and then don't allow lies to fuel your doubt. Um, Stand on God's truth and promises. Um, So you're doing a great job with Christ and the Holy Spirit guiding you and growing you even when it doesn't feel like it. Oh, Yeah, you can give some any other practical encouragement. So practically speaking, um, prioritize yourself. Um, Do something you love. Exercise, a hobby, whatever that looks like to you. but especially taking care of yourself physically and spiritually. Um, so I had a, um, a really dear friend of mine tell me, when you feel like you're drowning in motherhood, grace yourself abundantly. So um, when you're drowning in motherhood, you're really not drowning. You're just in the shallow and you need to stand up. Yeah. Um, I love that, Rachel, because I feel like um, 
we need grace. And just, just as a follow-up question, but what might it look like to grace yourself? I feel like um, it's, such, it's such a great word for us as moms because we often fail and we often look and somehow we think that there is a such thing as a Hallmark mom or like an Instagram where everything looks perfect and, um, and you got the leave it to beaver look. And you're like, that's not what it looks like in my home. So, because those are snapshots, right? Yeah. Those are just snapshots. And every like... Every once a month, we might get that one snapshot in our house. But for the majority, it may not look like that. So how do we grace ourselves as mom? What, what might that look like? Even just one thing, what, what, what might that look like? What might we say to ourselves or, or whatever? Because I believe exactly we need grace. So, I mean, it's important for us to um, have one another, have other mothers. Um, no matter what stage of mothering we're in, but especially those that are in the same position as us um, and then with gracing ourselves it's just truly digging into God's word and reminding ourselves of his truth so that we can snap ourselves out of it like hold up like everybody's flopping in this water okay I am not the hallmark mother never have I been never will I be and so it's just a constant reminder like no through the madness God is growing me and so more we look to God's love over us. So I feel like it's so easy for us to give that to grace to others, but then we don't, like, oh, wait, wait, I need to grace myself. Like, God graces me, and he loves me. And it's an opportunity even to love on our children and say, look, mommy's not perfect. Mommy needs Jesus just as much as you need Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Um, Jackie, I want to ask you, um, it has been such a joy to see you um, with your boys. And I am, I am certain that rounding them up and prepping them to come each Sunday is not an easy task. Um, I feel like I don't even know the half of it. And yet you do it well, and you um, really are setting an example for them of what it looks like to seek God for yourself and for you guys as a family. And I applaud you for that. You dedicated your boys this year. And, um, and I just see in you, uh, and thinking specifically even when we did our, the, the parenting class to prepare for that, like just such a hunger to know what it is to really parent them. And the, what does it mean to parent them in the Lord? And, um, and you've been an example to me in that hunger and, um, and uh, an encouragement to literally see the work that you've put in as a mom, okay, as a single mom. And so, Jackie, what is one thing you would say to another single mom in your in your uh, shoes that you would encourage? Um, how would you encourage her spiritually, and how could you encourage her practically? What what kind of things do you cling on to, Jackie? This has been a hard topic to talk about because I'm in the middle of the fight, and it's a. <laughs> It's a constant struggle. Every day you feel like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. Everything um, falls on you. You don't have a partner on the day-to-day to help you. You know, even doing, doing basic chores around the house, taking out the trash. You know, everything is, you know, you got to make sure there's groceries on the table. you got to make sure the bills are paid. And it's, a, it's like a constant... Um, it's like never ending, you know, and um, and so it is a struggle. And I've had plenty, many, many moments where I um, 
I just, I just cry and I want to give up. I want to throw in the towel. I just don't want to do this anymore. Um, it's not fair. This is not something that I aspired, I dreamed to be in this position. Um, and so, um, in in my lowest moments, you know, I, I cry out to God and I know He hears me. And it's just sometimes it feels like it's the same battle, different day. And um, I know God is working in my life. It's just maybe not the way I envisioned it would be. But um, but uh, God has uh, blessed me with some family and friends. You know, I I, I lost my parents um, in a span of three years' time. In 2014, I lost my father. In 2017, I lost my mom. So I don't have that grandparent support. And um, that's been a challenge. And so it's like grief after grief after grief. And it's like, when is enough enough? How much more can I take? And, and through it all... You know, God is teaching me so much, and um, he's teaching me to trust him beyond what my eyes can see, because my situation, I feel like I'm always on the struggle bus. My life is a hot mess. You know, I'm here chasing my boys. One is going one direction, the other one's going the other right, you know, and they're fighting, they're dropping to the floor, they're having tantrums and meltdowns, and then I'm having meltdowns after them. And so, my, you know, my boys are, you know, they're talking. They're saying no. They're like, no, mommy, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. You know, that's how they respond. So, um, but in all that, I do find joy in, in them. And they are the reason why I wake up every day, every morning. Um, they give me purpose in life. And to be able to um, uh, be an example and minister to them in their lives is such a blessing, and um, I get to be the first person they see every morning and the last person that they see at night, and so um, knowing that um, and finding joy in that um, pushes me, keeps me going and moving forward. Um, I just want to say a couple of other things. Um, another thing God is working in my life that I hope encourages you is also obedience, um, doing the right thing even when um, I don't feel like it, even when life seems unfair, even when I feel like I get the short end of the stick. Um, he's teaching me to persevere, um, to continue to wake up every morning, like I said, to show up. Um, um, patience, waiting on God, and, and not doing things on my own timing, because Lord knows that I screw things up even more when I take these matters into my own hands. And the last one is the hardest for me, and that is finding joy in my suffering. And, and that is the joy that I find in, in the day-to-day and how God is blessing me and, and the things that I do have in my life and the things and the people I do have and, and um, being grateful for those things every day um, encourages me and keeps me going. And so um, a verse I have written down on my uh, dry erase board in my bedroom that I see every morning is from Deuteronomy 31.6, and it says, To be strong and courageous. Do not fear and dread of them, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He will never leave you or forsake you. And, and, and in 1 Peter 5.10, it says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you in his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore. He will restore. He will confirm and strengthen and establish you. And this is just a season, and I tell myself this time, the season will pass. The season will pass.
Thank you for sharing that word of encouragement. And it's very evident that you are standing on a solid rock. And that's why you are not sinking, even though it feels like everything else is sinking. You know, as you shared with me some of the things that you were going to share, you mentioned Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. And I looked it up because you didn't, you hadn't written the, and I said, man, I wonder what, what passage that is that she's clinging to. Um, and I just want to ask, how does this uh, word uh, of the Lord spur you on in your heart? It states, Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes. But its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. How does that word minister to your heart, Jackie? Um, it helps me continue to have trust in God, even when it's hard. Um, and it also it resonates with me because as I continue to seek the Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm learning to pray habitually, to um, um, memorize verses, um, surround myself with um, people who who are growing in, in God and um, and it just encourages me to stay grounded in him and I've noticed a difference in my life because certain things that would happen would I would feel like my world would fall apart and now when you know things happen and I and I have opposition um, I don't I don't I don't feel the same way I, I feel strong I feel um, Stronger, um, I can withstand. I go straight to God. I don't. I don't rely on my own strength, and so um, so it feels like I'm 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 becoming more planted in that, and I and I can see it in my life, and I can see it in how I react to things and how I handle day to day situations. Thank you. So, Thank and you, one last thing, yeah. a friend, a dear friend of mine here, uh, once encouraged encouraged me, and she said, "Just because you're a single mom doesn't mean you're lacking." Yeah. And so I want to encourage every single mom here, just because you're a single mom doesn't mean that you don't, you know, you're missing something. Because with God, you have everything. Thank you, because I know that that word needs to be heard today. That word needs to be heard, um, because families look all different, and God graces us, and he allows us to... To, he uses the, the stories that we, we have to put him on display. And so thank you. We're not lacking. Yes, thank you. Um, Lynette, your, um, your intentional mothering has been an inspiration to, to me. Um, it is clear that your desire and aim is that the Lord would be at the center of your home. Um, and you set your children up to see him as the best treasure. I've seen that. I've seen you desire that and implement that in your home. Um, and being steps ahead of me <laughs> in the game, um, I'm so grateful that we get to hear from you. We could have asked you to talk about uh, what it looks like as a blended family. We could have talked, we could have asked you as a single mom, what was that like? We could have asked you about being a mom of adult children, um, being a mom of elementary children, but we specifically asked you to speak on what it is to be a mom of teens. Um, and what that looks like and how to encourage a mom um, who ha is a mom of teens. How would you encourage her spiritually? How would you encourage her practically speak to that mom um, right now? Amen. Okay. Good job. 
All right, as a mom of teens, I think um, when I was thinking about this word, um, there's an expectation out there in the world that says when your children become teens that um, you can be a little bit more hands-off, that they'll know better, and that they will do better. Well, (laughs) after raising five of these teens, it's a lie. And I feel like if you understand it's a lie, then going into it, you'll be better prepared. Amen? So I want to encourage moms of teens, if you haven't come to Jesus, they will draw you to the cross. Um, You will pray daily. Hallelujah. On your knees, in your closet. Hallelujah. Um, They will draw you closer to the cross. And um, I just want to encourage you, though, that you got this. Being a mom of teens is no different from when they were toddlers and they were being transitioning, right? Teens, teenage years are just a big transition. Um, when they were younger, we taught, we trained, and we transitioned them through um, a lot of the things they went through. And being a teen, it's nothing different. And so I kind of got this revelation I want to share it with you. Um, just as we transitioned um, our babies when they were uh, younger to uh, potty train, right? We praised them when they did well, and we corrected them when we didn't hear them and they were in the corner pooping somewhere, right? We kind of got them on check with that. It's the same thing for your teen. You're going to praise them when they do well, and when they're somewhere off in the corner uh, isolating themselves, tucking back, we're going to go find them and we're going to teach and train them on whatever it is that's drawing them away. Um, And just like when um, when they were younger, we brought all the plug covers, we brought the rounded edges for the sharp things, we brought the safety gates uh, to protect them in their environment, Uh, the same thing when they were teen. We're going to, uh, except it just looks a little different, right? We're going to put um, safety measures, parental controls on all their electronic devices. We're going to screen all their friends. We're going to um, teach them about the traps of the enemy, the safety gates that they shouldn't go beyond. And when they go beyond and fall down that stair or something like that, we'd be like, okay, they'll learn when they were a toddler. Well, same thing when they're a teen. Um, Let them go. Let Let them tap. And so they can feel that fire and be like, I told you. And come back, and then you teach them. So the teaching, the training, and the transition is the same. And then just like um, one last thing, when they begin to walk, that was one of the most exciting times when they were younger, right? We encouraged. We were patient. We were so patient. They fell and bumped their knee. They sometimes hit their head really hard, and we just knew they're going to be all right. Don't touch them. Don't look at them. Don't, don't pay too much attention to them. They'll be all right, right? Same thing when they're teens. They're learning to walk. They're learning to transition to these young adult years. And so as a mom, you've held them through. They survived with you and your folks around you up to this point. These teen years are no different. Um, You're to be more hands-on. All that to say you got this. Um, Don't be discouraged by thinking you're the only one that's suffering. Mm. Because it's a lie. We can talk later. You are not the only one. Your child, uh, everyone sees the highlight reel, like Erica said. Um, but there's a lot of teaching and training and transitioning behind the scenes. But we can talk later about that. Um, do I go with word of advice? Yeah. Okay. And then my word of advice is don't take it personal, sis. Do not take it personal. A lot of times teens do things, and, and, and they do things that are extremely great that we love them and we praise them for and we're so proud of. But the devastation when they do something bad, it can really hurt a mother's heart. Can I get an amen? amen? But don't take it personal. That's my word of advice to you. Stand firm. Your labor of sowing in tears through this transition will not be in vain. First uh, Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, but I would just switch it up and say mothers, uh, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that 
knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So be steadfast, unmovable by emotions. We can't get on that ride with them. Teens need structure and a constant. Make expectations known. Take the emotion out. Handle attitudes and actions according to reward and consequence, a system. And again, don't take it personal. Continue the work you started in the beginning to teach, to train, and to help transition. Uh, The teen years, this is a funny thing I heard in, I'll end with this. Um, It said the teen years can be tough and trying uh, for us mothers because uh, it makes the transition for them to move out easier. Because I couldn't imagine my baby right now, as sweet as I love them, and having to move them out. I'd be like, no. But after having five teenagers, I'm like, Father God, (laughs) set them on a firm rock, Jesus, and help them on. That's good. Um, being a mom, I love how you're relating it to mom of littles. Like it's, it's, it's tiresome, it's tedious. And how do you continue to know that your labor in the Lord amongst your children is not in vain? I know that's what God's word tells us, but how do you allow that, how allow God's word to influence you to keep doing the consistent work of mothering with intentionality and unto the Lord, um, knowing that it's not in vain. Like, how do you, what are some, some, some things that you cling to? Uh, because I love that passage. And if we take it into mothering, it's just, it's just as true. Yeah. It's not in vain. Yeah. How do we remember that in the day in and day out? Um, <laughs> uh, it, faith, right? Um, I, you just believe that even when this child is acting in a way that you know you didn't raise them in, or when they're doing something that's outside of character on that represents your household, that at the end of the day, these are God's children. And I'm like, God, this is your reputation on the line. I did my part. You called me to raise them up in the way that they should go. And I did my part. And I, I consistently do that, that, you know, God, he saved me when I was in that, you know, that broken place or that place of being lost and so the same God that could save me is the same God of my children and so I lean and I and I rely and I and I trust and I believe that God will do that amen amen thank you and it's not in vain um miss miss Barbara miss Barbara you and Wayne are a gift to our young church here at the brook yes amen um, you understand what it is to live uh, life in Christ for, for decades. And, um, and every time I have an opportunity to, ch- to chat with you, I, I leave spurred on in my faith um, because of your evident faith and because you've been living it. And, and I'm, so I'm eager to hear from you on what, it, on what mothering looks like to adult children um, because we know that the job of mothering, we, we're, we're always a mother. And so um, when, our, when our children are now adults and we have grandchildren, what, what kind of encouragement can you give to um, another mom in your shoes um, that would encourage her spiritually and practically? This is my sword. <laughs> Come on. I was given to this by my parents Christmas of 1950 when I was 11 years old. It has been through a lot of battles, as you can tell. Battles are not over yet. These are some of the things that you're going to face. And you ladies have already covered some of this. There's going to be joy and sorrow, harsh and kind words, hugs and tears, agreements and disagreements, panic and peace, talking and listening. Motherhood 
is not always easy, as we've heard. No matter how old your child is, young adult, baby, teenagers, you have to take time to pray with and for them. There will be tears and laughter, and Proverbs 26.6 tells us to train up your child in the way they should go, and when they were old, they will not depart from it. My husband was raised in a very strict Pentecostal home. They had church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revivals, prayer meetings, and sometimes meetings outside of the church at another church. It wasn't always fun for them, and it was very hard, and you go through the struggles of keeping your child in church. But my mother-in-law did that. And one night, we went to a revival, and he gave his heart over to Jesus. He was 27 years old. Three of his brothers also left home, not left home, but left the church. When they made the decision that they didn't know They didn't want to go to church anymore. Two of his brothers also came to know the Lord when they were in their mid to late 20s. So as a young adult, it is never too late. Mothers never give up that faith and that prayer because God's always there. I'm still a paper person, sorry. We'll cry many tears, and we've seen that, but that's okay, and I am absolutely positive that God invented Kleenex, absolutely. You put your fears for your child in his hands. The Bible tells us in Second Timothy that God has not given the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power. You can overcome those fears. He'll bring peace to you, and joy will follow. Talk things over with them. They have fears. You had fears. You went through those fears, and you came out victorious. And why did you do that? And probably there was a praying mother behind that. I had one. My husband had one. And I pray that my children will remember that they have one. And remember, they're not your little kid anymore. They're your big kid. They're always going to be your big kid. My big kid will be 60 this year. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) And she still calls me for advice, and I still give her advice. And when you see them grow up, and they may choose the right partner, they may not choose the right partner, but you stay with them and you stand with them. Don't discourage them. Encourage them. Lift them up in prayer. And if you find that you're faltering, don't be afraid to cry out to the Lord because he will reach out that unchanging hand and he will lift you up. You never walk alone when you walk with God. Excuse me. There is so much more that could be told to you, but I pray that as you have this adult child, maybe some of them still live in your home. And as, you know, we've heard, you fear the time that they're going to leave home. 
Sometimes they come back. But that's okay. That's okay. You still love them. You still take care of them. You still cherish them. And above all, stay in church. Stay on that right path. Some of them are straight and narrow, and some of them have a lot of curves. But we can go through it, and we can get through it. There is no boundary that can keep us from God. And when we come upon hard times, tell Satan to get behind you. He has no place in your life. I think you're pointing to prayer, Barbara. We're going to end here in prayer. Um, as you have just mentioned to us, told us that we need to pray. We can't do this on our own. I wouldn't want to do it on my own. Um, I know that I can't parent, uh, I can't mother on my own. And so I want us to end in prayer. Um, I think as we get older, we begin to consider what kind of legacy we're leaving and um, what kind of influence or what kind of impact we, um, we are leaving for our children. And um, we can't leave behind for them a better legacy than a spiritual one. And so I want us to pray now for our, for, I want you to pray now for the, the moms here that you are encouraging. Um, but pray that they would continue to be able to spiritually impact their children, um, but then to grace themselves, give them back to the Lord, and um, and just pray that, that we would value that the most. There's a lot of things we could leave for our children, um, but I know for, for, for me, I want to leave them a, a gift of a mom who loved Jesus and pointed them to the cross and, um, and then didn't, didn't lose hope even when they're older and really believe that God can, can reach them at any, at any stage. And we always have to remember, God is the glue that binds us together. Amen. Amen. So, Barbara, can you, um, actually, we'll start here, and then we'll, we'll pray, and then we'll end with Rachel. Does that sound good? Okay. Dear Lord, I will take up my sword to pray with and for each of these young mothers will tell them to have no fears because, as I said, you walk beside them, your hand is unchanging. You're always there. You are available 24-7. And how many times we've needed you in the middle of the night. But we can call on you, and you're there. We may not always get the answers to a prayer that we hope for, but it's the one that you have for us and that you have given us the spirit of hope and of faith And as we pray for each of these mothers to keep them encouraged, Lord, into you. And for them to always walk on that path that you set for for them. Because no one else could have done it for us. And without you, we're nothing. So we put our hope and our trust and our love and our faith in you. Father, we just pray over every mom with teens. Um, I just pray Psalm 119.28 that you strengthen every mother who may be weary in raising their teen. I pray that they get a new resolve to train, teach, uh, to train and teach and encourage their teen in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from sound doctrine and teaching. I thank you, Lord, that they will follow it all the days of their life. 
Holy Spirit, encourage each mom that when their teen pushes them away, even pretends not to hear or pulls back from their touch, may our love be greater than our egos in that moment, and may we point them to the cross in Jesus' name. Dear Lord, I just want to lift up all the single moms here today and on this earth, and I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you meet them where they are, and I pray, Lord, that in their lowest times, where they want to give up, Father, when they don't know what to do, they don't know where to turn, they have no energy left, Father. I pray that they find strength in you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that they seek your face and and just continue to rely on you, Lord, to know that you are the only one that can get them through this. I pray, Father God, that they continue to press forward and wake up and show up because when they show up, you will be there. I pray, Father God, that you um, cover them, that they will be able to be examples to their children and minister to their lives and that they will be able to know, Lord, that, that you were there all along, that they are not lacking, Father. I just want to, to um, pray that verse over um, all the mothers, that they may be strengthened, Father, that they may be planted like a tree in a water that sends out its roots by the stream, that does not fear when heat comes, Lord, for it leaves remains green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit, Lord. Father God, we thank you for your word of truth for your abundance of overflowing grace. God, I pray that in each unique season of motherhood we are in, that not only would we seek you diligently, but God, that we would utilize the body of women in Christ to encourage us, walk with us, and remind us of your grace and how it's sufficient for us. For Father, your power is made perfect in weakness. So Father, may we boast in our weakness to bring glory to the one with all the power, love, mercy, and grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, ladies, for your vulnerability, for your encouragement. Thank you for sharing. Um, Let's give these ladies a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you, guys.
goodness. How good was that time here just a moment ago? I was thankful for, for those moms and their courage to just stand up here and share from their heart what's going on in their lives. Uh, I was extremely edified by that, and I, I trust all of you were as well. Um, I just want to share briefly from God's Word as we get ready to wrap up our morning today. Um, but I think God has given me a word for you that pertains well to what our ladies shared about here. I want to pray just right now, just message briefly here, and then dive in with you. Are y'all ready for that? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, um, for this Mother's Day. And we thank you for you and your word, Lord. I love how each of these women testified to how they cling tightly, God, to your unshakable promises. Lord, if it weren't for you, we do not know where we would be. And so I thank you, God, that you are sure as tomorrow's sunrise, that you are good. God, I pray you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you'd want to cause us to hear and see as I open your word and preach, Lord, to conclude our series here on encountering Jesus. God, I pray that you do that for all of us in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. This thought hit me to, uh, this week, that for all of you who are grandmas out there, you have something God does not have. Grandchildren. Y'all hear that? Grandparents got something God ain't got. God does not have grandchildren. And we often say that as part of the church. And what we mean is this. God has called every one of his followers to put their faith in Jesus. And when we do that, we become daughters and sons of God. But nobody became a granddaughter or grandson of God because of what their parents did for them. And nobody gets into God's kingdom because of the faith of the ones who went before them. What I'm trying to say is, faith in Jesus is not hereditary. It does not get passed on by your last name. It does not get attributed to you because of what your family did before you. Our firm belief in what the Bible teaches is that every single person, if they are to become a child of God, must do so through putting their faith in Jesus. Your grandma, your grandpa, your great-great and greats may have been prayer warriors. But until you humble yourself before God, you are not a child of God. And heaven will not be your eternal destiny. And so what I want us to understand on this day is that the greatest thing, the greatest legacy in your life will be your own following of Jesus and how that then uh, persuades others to follow Jesus the same. But they themselves must make a choice. Our hope is today that every person in this room, every mom, every dad, every man or woman, every youth would understand that of greatest importance is where you stand before God today even more important than a Mother's Day or whatever days we celebrate. We want us to understand that this comes through encountering Jesus. I love that our God encounters us no matter what we're going through in life. On Easter Sunday, we saw how God encountered a woman named Mary Magdalene in her grief. We saw how God encountered Thomas when he doubted God's existence, or Jesus' resurrection, I should say. We saw how God encountered Peter in his regret. And today we're going to see how God even encounters us when we are resistant toward God. God is a God 
who cannot be held back. When he's got a plan, he will accomplish it. And so no matter what kind of walls we put up, no matter what kind of grief we're experiencing, no matter what kind of hardship is going on in our life, God can get through those things to get to you. And what I even love is that he does it when you weren't trying to go after him. The Bible teaches that the faith that we followers of Jesus have is not faith that we mustered up by ourselves. If you're here today searching out the claims of Christianity, you're not doing so because you searched it out by your own, but because God put it in your heart to do so. That is a merciful God. Yeah, we can clap for God. Because when we're in a pit, there's nothing we can do to get out. But God is the one who reaches down to pull us. Today, in just these moments ahead of us, these next 10 minutes I've got with you all, I'm going to share with you a man who was resistant to God as resistance can get. And what I want you to see is this is an argument from the greater to the lesser. Basically, I want you to see this. If God can save someone as messed up as this person we're going to talk about, surely he can save me. Because there is a spectrum of resistance toward God. You know, on the one hand, there are, there, there's, there's an extreme spectrum of those who hate Jesus, who hate Christians. And a lot of us look and say, I'm not that bad. But further down the spectrum, there is still a kind of resistance towards God that's not as blatant, it's less obvious, but it's still resistance. It's the resistance toward God when we want God on our terms, not on his We want Jesus on our terms, but not on God. That's resistance toward God because Jesus says, it's all or nothing with me. Either you will serve me or you won't serve me. Like we mentioned earlier, that foot on the rock, one foot in the sand, you might as well have them both in the sand. Because if you're not following me, you're resisting me. And so on this grand spectrum of total resistance and then just God on our terms, God's like, but I can still meet you no matter where you're at. And if I could reach someone as hostile as Saul, a man in the Bible, was, surely God could reach you today. I'm going to read here from the book of Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and following, as we talk about this very idea that no matter how far you feel like you are from God's reach, God's got more in store. God could reach you from that pit. God could reach you in that resistance no matter how hard your heart has gotten. Acts chapter 9, we find a story. I'm going to give us a summary here of a man named Saul. Saul is a bad dude, family. He is a bad man. In chapter 8, Saul was the one who gave approval for the first Christian to be killed for his faith. That's Stephen. And while Stephen was being stoned with rocks... Saul stood in the back with his arms crossed as people put down their jackets. Like, hey, Saul, can you, can you watch my jacket while I take it off? And stone Stephen. And Saul's like, I got you. Go ahead and do what you got to do. This is what Acts chapter 8, verses 1 and following tells us. Then a great persecution broke out and Christians were being persecuted. And this guy named Saul was leading that charge. We see in Acts chapter 9, it says, But Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters from the syn- to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul was such a bad dude that he breathed out threats and murder against followers of Jesus. He threatened them to the extent of murder. 
Like, I, want you, I want this to settle in because I'm trying to paint this picture of this bad dude for you guys, all right? This man would have been happy if other Christians received the same fate as Stephen did when he was stoned to death. So much so that Saul's like, you know what? After, after Stephen was stoned, a lot of Christians fled Jerusalem, but he got word that many went to a city called Damascus. And they were hiding out there in the city. And, and Saul's like, you know what? I'm going to go to the high priest saying, can I get permission to go to Damascus into the place of worship in the synagogue to arrest anybody who's a Christian? And he got the letter. He got the search warrant. He got the arrest warrant, and he got the approval to extradite those Christians from that place. And so he went out with that plan. He wanted to eradicate Christianity, what he saw to be a stain on the garment of Judaism. He wanted to evict faith from the hearts of all followers of Jesus. This is what he was about. He hated Jesus. He hated his followers. And what's super ironic is that he had a mentor named Gamaliel, the Bible tells us, And Gamaliel himself wasn't this bad. Gamaliel actually said of the Christians, he's like, hey, if this is from man, it's going to die out on its own. But if it's from God, don't fight against it because then you'll be fighting God. And here Saul's like, I don't like that. I'm going to take matters into my own hand. I'm going to find Christians. And what we're going to find here is that this bad dude, in the midst of him breathing breathing threat and murder, God could reach him in that place. So remember here, fam, that there, there is a spectrum of resistance toward God. There are the, the Saul's of the world, and there are the, I want God on my terms of the world. And I, honestly, many of us find ourselves in that place today. I think one of the scary things in the culture like we live in that is very um, overall receiving of multiple worldviews and of Christianity in general, not in particular, there are many who because of their upbringing, think that they are grandfathered and grandmothered into God's family. And there is this subtle resistance towards Jesus, but they want enough of Jesus that they think they're right with God. Brooke family, I love you guys so much. And one of my great fears is that there might be some among us who think they are following Jesus, but just aren't doing it. They have been around Christianity but you've never given Jesus all of who you are. And what Jesus says, if you don't give me all of who you are, you're still resisting. You're holding back. And so what God wants us to understand here is he's still in the business of grabbing people, even in that resistance, as extreme as Paul, uh, Saul's or as subtle as just wanting God on our own terms. So here's what Saul does. He gets this letter of approval. He's ready to go out to Damascus. And we find here in the Bible, it says this in verse 3 of Acts 9. Now, as he went on his way, which, by the way, you notice it said the Christians were called followers of the way. Did you catch that in verse, in verse 2 there? If he can go and arrest any belonging to the way. That's the name of Christians got before they were called Christians. They're people of the way. And what's the way? Well, Jesus says, I am the way. And so I think it's important for us to even remember how we self-associate ourselves, all right? We are followers of Jesus. There are many terms surrounding Christianity, terms that I used to love and I still do have affection toward that have been twisted in our culture. But at the end of the day, we are followers of Jesus, 
followers of the way. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, this man saw, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Here's what I want us to see takes place. Saul has a plan, a calculated plan to go to this foreign city and arrest Christians. That's how bad he hated Jesus. But as he went on his way, he sees this bright light, which he says says later on in the book of Acts, that was brighter than the sun, so bright it brought him to his knees. And then he heard a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And naturally he's like, well, who are you so I can know why I'm persecuting you? See, to persecute someone is to harass them for their belief. It is to oppose with great resistance. And to his surprise, the person who answered him was not who he thought. Because what does the voice say? It says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, how can you persecute a dead man? So you can't. And so what happens to Saul here in this moment of his life would change his life forever. Because in that moment, he sees Jesus alive from the dead. And not only does he see Jesus, but he understands something about the church. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Well, Jesus had already ascended into heaven. What Paul is persecuting is the church, the followers of Jesus. And so we understand this. The church, the Bible says, is the body of Jesus. So to oppose the church is to oppose Jesus himself. And so here Jesus is like, why are you persecuting me? Paul's there blind, or Saul's there blinded, not knowing what to do, and he's there for three days blinded in the city of Damascus. Family, I, I want us to understand something. As he was going to Damascus, he had a calculated plan, but he was doing the wrong kind of math. He had the wrong kind of strategy. The many, many times, the same ways that a lot of us have the wrong strategies in life here. You see, for him, he saw the problem to be Christians and then the solution to remove them. But in his calculations, he neglected to understand that God needs to be put into the equation. When we try to lead our lives without Jesus in our equation, we're missing out on God's plan. Jesus has a way of dividing our hearts. That's how he does math. And he subtracts our pride. And he adds our faith. He multiplies our surrender, and it equals salvation. That's how God does math. And so Saul's like, I got a plan, and God's like, my plan is different. Not only, not only, gets this, not only is my plan to stop you in your tracks, but I've got a plan that's so much more in store for you, I'm going to have you preach in the same synagogue the name of Jesus that you tried to arrest. Saul would have been like, never would I do that until you see the one you're persecuting alive in front of you from the dead. Here's what I want us to hear, fam. 
Saul left as a persecutor, and Jesus would make him a preacher. Saul left as a murderer, and Jesus would make him a follower. He wanted to put Christians in chains, but now he would preach a message that breaks chains. He wanted people to bow with respect to him because of how zealous he was, but then he would tell others to bow before Jesus, among whom no other name is compared. It would be this Saul who excelled in hatred, who would later tell people to love their enemies. Is this Saul who was zealous for the Jews, but then become a messenger to the Gentiles? It's this Saul who wanted others to suffer, who himself would then suffer immensely for Jesus. Look, what God could do is in our resistance towards him, cause us to do a 180. And what I love about this story was Saul wasn't looking for Jesus. Saul wanted nothing to do with Jesus. You may be here today and you say, I didn't come looking for Jesus. I came because it's Mother's Day. But I want you to know God's got different calculations. He's inserting himself into what is the right solution. And you came today maybe with uh, different understandings of who you are. Maybe you thought you were something like Saul thought he was something. Maybe you thought you were a mistake. But God's like, I'm going to come in here and give you purpose. Maybe you thought you were a failure. And God's like, no, I still got a plan for you. Maybe you came in thinking you are a porn addict. But God's like, I'm going to make you pure in my sight. You came in thinking you were a one-night stand. And God's like, I can make you stand with dignity. You, you may have doubts because of your body image, your marital status, your bank accounts, your accomplishments, or lack thereof, your fears, failures, hate, anger, or resistance. These things haven't defined who you are because God's got different calculations than what you see. And Saul was here thinking he was a zealous follower of God when really he was misunderstanding who God was. And Jesus says, in order to get that through to you, I'm going to bring you to your face so you can then see me. That's how God does math, family. For three days, he goes into Damascus, and he's there blind. But now there's a problem. He shows up in the very city now, having encountered Jesus, and all the Christians are afraid of him. What's he going to do? Well, also in God's calculations, it was, there was a man in the name, uh, by the name of an Ananias in Damascus. And Jesus shows up to Ananias, and he says, he says this to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. It's Straight Street in Damascus. It still exists to this day, apparently. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in the vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. So God's like, hey, Jesus, like, Ananias, I want you to go to Damascus. Go to, go to this guy Judas's house. Different Judas than what we know of other Judases. And he's like, Saul's there praying. And he said a guy named an, an Ananias shows up at the door. So Ananias, go and show up at the door. If you're like Ananias, what are you going to say next? Well, this is what Ananias says. Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. 
And here he is, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. He's like, Jesus, this man's dangerous. He's looking for people like me, and you're telling me to go to him. You know what Jesus says next? What's the next word in your Bibles there? What is it? What is it? And that's often what we don't want to do, right? But here, someone says, Ananias is one of the greatest heroes of the faith because he went. Jesus said, go, and he went. Yeah, he had a question. Jesus gave him, all right, this is this. Now go. And that's like, no, but Jesus, you've got to give me more. No, he's like, he went. And he goes to Saul. And this is one of my favorite parts of this passage. In verse 17, Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, what? These are the first words likely that Saul had ever heard from a Christian since he was a Christian. And what does he call him? Brother Saul. You see, Ananias is like, this man was on this side of the spectrum, Jesus. And Jesus is like, I've got different calculations. This man who was not in my family will now become your brother. And I can do that. And Ananias says, all right. He goes him, brother Saul. You see, there are a number of things we see in this passage. When we are resistant toward God, we got him at arm's length. There's a number of things that need to take place to demonstrate that we have truly surrendered. The first one is you got to get on your face before God, like Saul did. God, I need you. And then what does Saul do? What's he found doing? He's praying when Ananias finds him. His relationship with God is now there. It's existing. And Saul's like, God, show me. Undoubtedly, God, forgive me. I've been killing your followers. Jesus, I'm sorry. And then notice what Saul does. After Ananias lays hands on him, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Taking food, he was strengthened. Crazy story, isn't that? How could someone so resistant toward Jesus turn around so quickly only God and that's what happens when we encounter Jesus look I've said before encountering Jesus we're not trying to talk some mystical kind of thing although it could be that but at the very basic level it is understanding Jesus I am a sinful man I'm a sinful woman and I've been standing on sand for way too long trying to do this on my own I need you forgive me I believe that Jesus died on a cross for me, and I put my faith in him, and I'm a new person. When you do that, you become part of God's family. You've humbled yourself, therefore, before God. You've got your relationship with God correct, but then it doesn't stop there because then God's like, I want to see this as genuine. What does Saul do after his baptism? Well, if we fast forward there to verse 20, it says, Immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, He went to the very synagogue preaching Jesus that he was going to go there to arrest followers of Jesus. That's what God does. Last thing I want to point out to you, look at verse 15. When when, when, when Jesus tells Ananias to go to Saul, he says, go for he's a chosen instrument of mine. A chosen instrument of mine. Basically, Jesus is like, I got a plan for this guy. He's going to go around the world telling people about me how I stopped him in his tracks. And I'm going to do great things through him. He's going to suffer for me. Eventually, this man would die for Jesus. But Jesus is like, I got a plan for him. He's going to be my instrument. 
See, when we are encountered by Jesus, we become his instrument. We become his instrument. Several weeks ago, we went to Steinmetz High School where the Chicago Symphony Orchestra was playing. And boy, did they have some nice instruments. They were professional musicians holding the top kinds of instruments. But I started wondering, what if they had a crummy instrument in their hand? A broken instrument in their hand? An instrument that's not quite the quality that they would normally be used to. Can they still play a beautiful sound with that? So I began to research, can someone who's a great musician use a broken instrument? And I came across Willie Nelson. I'm not a fan. Maybe you are. But what I learned about Willie Nelson is he came to fame in the 1960s and 70s as a country music singer who had a different edge to him. But he's got a particular guitar whom he named Trigger. Trigger's interesting because it's a classical guitar, but he plays it with a pick. Classical guitars are meant to be picked with your fingers. So over the years, it's experienced tremendous wear and tear. It looks like a piece of junk. It's literally got an extra hole in the guitar. It is beat up and scratched. But people, fans of Willie Nelson, will tell you that when he plays that guitar, it makes a unique sound. And that sound is what's beautiful in people's ears and made Willie Nelson famous. So as I thought about this, I found a site that said this. Someone, a musician said, uh, said this. A bad musician will never make a great instrument sound good. But a good musician can play a cheap guitar and make it sound great. Family, as we look at Saul here, Jesus is saying, he's going to be my instrument. And as we look at that man, we say, that man is so broken. He arrested Christians. He approved of their murder. He hated Jesus. Jesus, this is not the kind of instrument you can use, right? Wrong, family. So no matter where you're at today, no matter how resistant you've been to this message of Jesus, you are not an instrument beyond God's usage. He is the top musician of musicians, and in his hands, he can use you to do great things. And that's what Saul does. Saul goes on missionary journeys in his life. He travels, hopefully even in his mind, to Spain. He goes to Rome. He gets his name changed. And we don't know him as Saul, but we know him as Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, the man of God whom God used, the man who said, I count all my accomplishments as nothing for the sake of following Jesus. And it is this Paul whom Jesus used. When you are grabbed by God and encounter Jesus, No matter where you're at on the spectrum of resistance, God can put a plan and a purpose in you. And what you thought was who you were, God's got different calculations, family. He does. I'm going to land this plane here and close in prayer. But man, look, Mother's Day is a beautiful day. But of greater significance are the days when people who are resistant toward Jesus become children of God. That's when heaven rejoices. That's when God throws a party. And our prayer is that today that would take place for some of you. Maybe you came today with the wrong calculations, but God's like, I got different plans, and he's stopping you in your tracks. Maybe it's like, Jesus, I know I've been standing two feet in different different foundations. I'm going all in on the rock today. Would you let one of our prayer team members pray with you, please? Just solidify that decision in your heart and say, would you pray for me? Because this is what I believe God is calling me to do.
Would you rise to your feet, church family? I'm going to invite our worship team to come on up and prayer team as well. I'm going to close in prayer here. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, that you don't do math like us, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that even though when we do math problems, we might forget the equation that has you in it. But I thank you, God, that even when we're not looking for you, you have a way of finding us. And for that man or woman here today who didn't come looking for you, Lord, I pray that today they would find you because Jesus stepped in front of them. God, I pray they would humble themselves to the ground, either literally or figuratively. God, I pray that they would cry out to you and pray as Saul did. Lord, I pray that they would understand then that they are then sisters and brothers, part of your family. And then, God, I pray that they would understand that they are your instruments. And, God, there is no junk in your hands. I pray you do this, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.